Well, after around about uh, three years, we've completed what's known as the, uh, the largely doctrinal part of Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And we come to these chapters now, 12 through to 16. And there could be uh, a title for these particular chapters, and it would go along the lines, Practical Christianity, chapters 12 through to 16. Practical Christianity. But that Christian practice is grounded on gospel truth. So the first 11 chapters are absolutely key. And uh, Paul shows that transition here by saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. I'm making an appeal to you, he says, and uh, it's based on all I've said so far. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, these first 11 chapters Doctrine, gospel, the mercies of God. And in the light of that, we ought to live in a certain manner. Now, as I said last week, um, Romans chapters 1 to 11 have got many difficult doctrinal areas in them, uh, particularly chapters 9 through to 11. Uh, And then that's very difficult uh, section, chapter 11 uh, itself. And we've had to grapple Uh, with great truths. But there's something relatively easy about theology and uh, studying God and studying his word and his being and his character, his attributes and uh, his ways revealed in the gospel. There's something quite uh, academic about it in a sense and we, we like to muse on these things and think on them and consider them and see the beauty uh, of these great doctrines and how they hold together so wonderfully well. But then we come to the practical application. And if it's preached correctly, and if the Holy Spirit is present in the correct preaching, then preacher and hearer alike, because we're all under the same word, ought to feel uncomfortable. If you and I can sit and listen to uh, chapters such as Romans 12 through to 16 and uh, sit smugly and comfortably and relaxed, then there's something wrong either with your heart or the preacher. Because these chapters were written to correct and to shape and to develop Christian character and living. They are hard words, but they are necessary words. They ought to make us feel uncomfortable because we are not yet the finished article. In Christ, we are perfect. It's wonderful, the gospel. God views me in the same way he views the Lord Jesus Christ and my status before my heavenly Father is complete and it never ever deviates and God's love towards me never ever changes it is unconditional love not based on anything I say or think or do that's wonderful and yet in actual reality this side of glory I am not what I ought to be I am an un finished work 
And although God's love towards me can never, ever change, because it's founded in the mysterious depths of eternity past, it comes from his own heart, it flows to me through the work of the gospel, and it never, ever changes. His love towards me never changes. His pleasure towards me does change. My, my own children now are thinking of, of them. There's no way that my love towards my children changes. It is constant because they are my children and nothing will ever change that status. And yet there were times I was pretty exasperated with my children. I'm thinking now in the past terms, maybe I can say still in the present, there are times when I can feel exasperated with my children, even in their adult years, because sometimes they will do things that are displeasing to me. But my love never changes, and their status never changes. And that's what's happening here in Romans. If we understood chapters 1 to 11, God's love is unchangeable towards me. But his pleasure in my conduct will vary according to my conduct. And that comes out in these verses we'll see here uh, this evening. So I'm an unfinished work. I think about maybe now a, a block of marble. And in the hands of a master sculpture, you can go into museums and if you go to Italy and Florence and Rome and you see these wonderful uh, statues that have been carved out of blocks of marble and they started off as a, an indefined block. But in the mind of the sculptor, he knew what he wanted to produce. I went to Florence when I was... Um, 16 on a school trip, there was a month-long tour of Europe in a, in a, in a minibus and um, I got on that, that trip and it was after my, it was all levels in those days and touring around and uh, there to see the statue of David there in, in Florence and uh, what, a, what a sight and uh, the, the, the sculpture, I mean to, to work on that, it was there in his mind, it was a block of marble and it becomes this wonderful, wonderful uh, figure of David. God has got in mind Jesus when he looks at you. He sees Jesus. We're in Christ and yet we are not yet like him in actual fact. And I wonder, I mean I know it's not true, a block of marble has no feelings, but if it had, as the sculpture works on that block of marble, all the pain, and maybe uh, the piece of marble wouldn't, wouldn't understand. Uh, why is he dealing with me so? This is painful. Another chip and another chisel, another hammer, and then smoothing it down and developing. And... But we're in the hands of the master sculpture, our wonderful God, and he wants to produce Jesus Christ in you and me. And we're not blocks of marble. We do have hearts of flesh. We do feel things and we do act and, and react and respond. And sometimes things are tough and sometimes the word of God really hits a nerve. Then I ought to take it. I ought not to dismiss it. But I ought to be saying tonight, Lord, what have you got to say to me? Because I recognise I am not the finished article and I need to change. Maybe it'd be good if we could be more honest with each other as well. 
And uh, you see, when I think about myself, maybe I don't see my fault. It's good to have a good wife, and she'll be watching uh, now on, on YouTube. And uh, she tells me one or two home truths at times, and I, my initial response is, I don't, no, I, don't, I, don't, I don't agree with that. And then, uh, yeah, just to muse on it and think, and uh, to allow God to change me and to change you. Is there something in your character that just needs to change? Have a good look at Jesus Christ, because that's what God has got in view for you and for me. And wouldn't it be marvellous and wonderful to have a chapel filled with the Lord Jesus Christ in every pew? It's not going to happen this side of glory. So there's still those rough edges that need knocking off you and me. These opening verses are very, very challenging. There's something like a banner headline for the rest of the letter to the church in Rome. I ask myself a question. What is my motivation for life? What drives you? What drives me? What makes us tick? What, what is it that we live for? Well, for every Christian, it ought to be this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This ought to be my motivation for living. So tonight, this afternoon, tomorrow, when Monday morning comes and the alarm clock goes off, why am I getting up? And it's not because, well, it's an aspect of it. The boss expects me in. The school expects me uh, to be there in class or, or teaching that class. That's part of it, but supremely I have in view when the alarm clock goes off tomorrow morning, I have in view very clearly, let the fog lift quickly, I have in view the mercies of God. And notice that it is plural. Some versions have got a singular there, but it is plural. I ought to have in view the mercies of God. And when it comes to my Christian conduct, and why I do things the way I do. Now, chapters 1 through 11 are all key, but I think the key chapter is chapter 8. You might find that a little bit surprising. Surely it's chapters 1 to 4. Well, yes, they are absolutely vital and foundational, uh, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on my behalf. But I think chapter 8 is key for this reason when it comes to my Christian conduct and service. Because it's chapter 8 that speaks about my security in Christ and the certainty of my salvation. And once I've got hold of that, once the Spirit has really put that into my mind, I was talking to a member a few weeks ago and they said to me, oh, it's wonderful. Uh, for, for many years I've jibbed against this, but now I believe the doctrines of grace. I, I see them. Aren't they wonderful? Aren't they marvellous? I tell you, it changes the way that you live and your attitude towards service. But you see, if you believe it's possible to, to lose your salvation, now just stay with me a moment. If it's possible, if you believe it's possible, because it's not possible, but if you believe it is possible to lose your salvation, what is your motivation for service? 
Now think about that. Well, I better keep on serving. The Bible does say, he who perseveres to the end will be saved. Will be saved. So I, I better keep on serving because if I don't, I might lose my place in heaven. My friend, what's your motivation? <laughs> it's fear. It's fear. But if you get a hold of this, once saved, always saved, salvation is totally the work of God. And once he's got a hold of me, there's no way I can lose that place in glory. And yes, the Bible does say, he who perseveres to the end will be saved. How do I know God has done a good work in my life? How do I know I am saved? Well, I continue. I continue. And I persevere because he preserves me. And I'm going to end up in heaven. Come what may, because his eternal love has come from eternity, has found me in time, has got a hold of me, his spirit works in me. I'm going to end up in heaven because of the mercies of God. I tell you, it changes the way I serve. It's no longer out of fear of losing my salvation but it becomes a joyful, grateful service. I give my life to him, the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Since I cannot lose my salvation, in view of the mercies of God, and particularly Romans chapter 8, I offer my body as a living sacrifice. We're really going over and emphasising and re-emphasising things we looked at last week. I don't know how much progress we're going to make uh, this evening, but I'm uh, attracted and drawn to this word here now again. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, to present, to offer, to offer, to offer to God your bodies as a living sacrifice. You know, so often we're slow, we're sluggish. We thought about this last week. Um, an appeal goes out on email. Who can join the rotor and tumbleweeds? And you're thinking, is it hello? Anybody out there? And uh, we have to wait to be asked to do things so often. How about making an offer? How about coming to the elders and saying, I'm just keen to serve. I'm not sure where I ought to be serving, but oh, my heart is bursting in view of the mercies of God. I want to offer myself. You know better than me, maybe. Uh, you, you wise elders, or maybe you can chat with a good Christian friend. I'm keen to serve. Do you think there's anything I can do? Of course there's something you can do. We're going to see that from the next section. Every believer has been gifted and our service, of course, will differ according to our stages of life. I want to make an application at the end on, on this. To have young children. I mean, here's a couple down here and three kiddies at their feet. And uh, family here. There's families. I mean, this morning, lovely seeing all the young children. And then we come to other stages of life. The children have grown up and uh, suddenly we find we have a little bit more time on our hands. Uh, but then the grandchildren come along and uh, other things. To, where, what, what's the right balance? Where, where do I serve? But just this, this word here, offer, offer. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a church where the phone's ringing and emails are, oh, how can I serve? I don't think, I, no, I wouldn't say that. 
21 years, I have had a couple of such conversations. That's good. It's lovely. It's encouraging. Maybe two or three people have come. I'm really keen to serve. I'm not sure what I can do. Maybe it's in the Lord's will. There are lots of gaps in the ranks in the life of the church here as we emerge from lockdown. I mean, I, I just think about all the little children in the life of the church. Yeah, there's got to be 40 kiddies, 10 and under. And uh, we can't get a regular kids' club going. And uh, maybe that's in the Lord's will. But maybe there's somebody thinking, well, oh, but I'm no good at that. Are you not? Are you not? Who knows? Who knows what the Lord might do? But here it is, in the view of the mercies of God. I'm not sure, Lord, what I can do, but I want to make an offer. And what does he want? Offer your body something physical here, some action as a living sacrifice. The Old Testament sacrifices, well, they didn't do a great deal. They were just offered, but they were dead sacrifices. But for you and for me, it's Jesus who died, so I live. And my life and my body, because I'm a living sacrifice. Because I'm in Christ, he not only died, but he rose again. And this sacrifice ought to be holy and acceptable uh, to God. And that's where I, I come up with this word, um, this, this, uh, this thought. God's love can never change, but is he pleased with my performance? I was very pleased with Burnley's performance this afternoon. I couldn't believe my little eyes. Wolverhampton Wanderers nil, Burnley four. Where's that come from? Where's that come from? No, I always loved Burnley. I'm stuck with it. I was born near there. And it's just a, a lifelong love with that particular little, little club. Uh, last week I wasn't very pleased. This week I'm very pleased. What's God's view of you and, and me? Is it possible to please him? They are almighty being. That I can do things that warm his heart. Is that possible? Or is this blasphemous? Would, would the Bible say such things? Well, I've got three quick references here that help us. 1 Thessalonians and chapter 2 and verse 4. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. I'm doing this, says Paul, not to be a man pleaser, but I'm doing it. Isn't this amazing? Can you, can you think along this, these lines with me? I'm doing it, says Paul, to please God. It's possible for you and I to warm his heart. Up north we'd say, oh, he warms the cockles of my heart. I'm not sure what it means, but it's, it's something he did. And oh, I, I'm thrilled by that. We're thrilled with him. Can he be thrilled with me? His love never changes, but he can be pleased by what I do and what I say and what I think. Ephesians chapter 5. And verse 10. And, says Paul, inspired by the Spirit, try to work out what is pleasing to the Lord. Try and work out what pleases 
the Lord. Think it through. Well, I, I can find out what pleases the Lord from his word, the, the, the Bible. One more reference. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9. So says Paul, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. We make it our aim to please him. Here it is in the word of God. It is entirely possible to live in such a way that I warm God's heart. I please him. It's also possible to live in a way such that I displease him. Now, what would you want to do? What would I want to do? Well, in view of the mercies of God, and not now to earn salvation, but because it's given to me as a gift that can never be lost. What's the reasonable thing to do? Well, offer my life. Let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And I don't do it to win his love. I do it because of his love. I've been reading, uh, I mean, Tim Keller is just superb. And here it is, eight chapters, Romans chapter 8 to 16. I don't know how many sermons I'm going to take in chapters 8 to 16, but uh, this is wonderful. It's all condensed here. There's nothing I disagree uh, with. Um, And I'm sure if we met together for a cup of coffee, we'd agree in every area uh, of Romans. Just so happens he's gone through it uh, rather more quickly. But um, is it better I'm being slower? Is it better that he's quicker? Well, the Lord has his, his will, but... Oh, I'd recommend these two volumes to you. And they're not very expensive. And uh, re-read through, through Romans. But he gives an illustration here. He uses baseball, but I, I don't really understand baseball. But uh, he talks about now. Uh, imagine a little boy with his father. And uh, the father is teaching his little boy football skills in, in the gods. There's the football, there's the goal. And they're in the garden day in and day out. And the little lad, he, he loves playing football. He loves spending time with his father uh, as well. And, and dad is teaching him the, the basics of uh, ball control and shooting and uh, tackling and all those areas. And then the little boy joins a team. And the dad goes along to watch. And it's the little boy's desire now to play well, to please his dad, not to win his dad's love. He knows that his dad loves him, but he wants to please his dad because of his dad's love towards him. And that's our position as Christians. I'm not trying to twist God's arm to love me more, for he cannot love me more. But I ought to be living my life in the light and the view of his mercies, because he loves me. I make it my aim to please him. And a couple of quotes from, uh, from Tim Keller here. Here's the first one. The Christian life is to be a daily giving over of our lives and our bodies in obedience to God, motivated by the view of God's mercy that we have as we stand at the foot of the cross and see his son dying there for us. And this is a wonderful quotation here. He talks, he's talking about the, the, the logic of Christian service. In giving myself to, to God, 
a hearty giving. It is a logical position to take. It's what we finished with last week. This is your spiritual worship or your logical service. In view of what Christ has done, it's only logical. I give myself fully to him. Now, here's Keller's quote on that. In short, once you have a good view of God's mercy, anything less than a total, complete sacrifice of yourself to God is completely irrational. If you give yourself partially or half-heartedly, you are simply not thinking. You are not looking at what Jesus did. If what he did does not move you or break the ice over your soul, then you must ask yourself if you have ever understood the gospel. So take a better view of it, have a good long look at it, because it has to change us. The logical conclusion of the view of God's mercies towards us in Christ is that we give ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. Now we come into verse 2 now. And there's a negative and then a positive. Let's start with a negative. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. So there's my view of God's mercies. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever Offer my body a living sacrifice. Now, there's a problem. The world is ever near me. Tell me the old, old story when you have cause to fear. This world's empty glory is costing me too dear. The world will offer and uh, behind it will be the the, the devil and offering all the trinkets. And on these street corners, there's uh, Madam uh, Bubble, but she's just a, a, a bubble. So do not be conformed to this world. And the word... Uh, conformed. Uh, don't let yourself be fashioned or shaped or molded by this world. Don't follow the pattern or the shape or the mold of this world. Don't let it squeeze you into its mold. You don't see many of them around anymore, but when I was uh, younger, just looking around, some folks will remember these. Uh, the old sandwich toasters, you put a piece of bread on the bottom, then you'd fill it with all sorts. Piece of bread on the top, and then you pull this thing over, and it would seal the, the toasted sandwich in the middle. And you'd leave it there cooking for a little while, then you'd open it up, and the imprint, I can see them now, they're sort of uh, semicircular and little shell patterns are on the top but that sandwich are being squeezed by the heat of the sandwich maker into the mold of the sandwich maker and uh, that's what the world's trying to do to you and to me it's having a good go uh, tonight it's had a good go all through today and all through your life it will try and squeeze you into its mold and the mold of the world is simply look after yourself it's all about self And self is the essence of sin. It's what I want. Might spread to me and my family, but within my family, it's really what TV channel I want to watch. Which holiday do I want to go on? How much rest do I need? How much money of this is going to be for my 
pleasure. And the, the world would say, look after yourself because nobody else is going to do it. Life is brief and death is sure. So get as much pleasure as you can while you can. Nothing's changed. The same in Paul's day. The Epicureans eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. The Stoics, life is tough, but uh, just stick your jaw out, grit your teeth and get through, get what you can while you can. But it's all about this life. And I get what I can to bring myself personal satisfaction. Well, how much would you need to be satisfied? Because the Bible's very clear that even the world would not be enough. However much people have got, if you ask anybody how much would make you happy, it always ends up the same. Just a little bit more. And it would apply to you right now. You think about whatever you do have, and you would be thinking, if only I had a little bit more, then I could be content. But it never, ever satisfies. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mould. There's the negative. But then let's conclude on the positive. Rather, be transformed. Don't conform to this world but be transformed. Here's the, the positive. This Greek word, transformed, metamorphoses, metamorphoses. Be transformed. A metamorphosis may it take place in your life. We'll see how that happens in a moment. It's wonderful how it, how it happens. Uh, William uh, recently was out on a walk near Hendra Lake and found a little pool and it had little tadpoles in it and uh, he said to Sarah, his wife, could I go and get some in a bucket and bring them home? Can we look after them? And his wife said, well, certainly, William, you go and do that and they researched how to look after them and they aerated the water and they got some weed and little stones in there and uh, William went off with his bucket and brought home the frog spawn and the, the tadpoles have hatched and they're swimming around but one day they're going to be transformed there's going to be a metamorphosis and it's happening has any legs appeared yet not quite yet but they're going to appear little legs and then they're they're going to start wanting to breathe air so they're going to have to put their heads out of the water and they'll start to clamber up and there's going to be a transformation Another family in the church I saw recently, mum had sent for and they'd arrived. It was a little box. In the box were some eggs and the eggs have hatched and the kids are watching them. And I think you had some last, last year. Uh, the, the caterpillars and the caterpillars became... Did it, was it you or was it... I can't remember who had them. Was it, it was you, was it? And the butterflies came out. Caterpillars were transformed into butterflies. And we need to be quite different to... The world, the world's full of tadpoles and caterpillars, but we need to be frogs and butterflies, but it's better than that. It's better than that. We need to be living examples of Jesus Christ uh, in the world. Be transformed. There's a day coming when this metamorphosis will be there for the whole creation to see. And all creation is eagerly waiting for that revelation of the sons of God. And one day we shall be like him. And a new body, a resurrection body and... Uh, Oh, no more sin and no more sin and no more death. But even in this world, we can become more and more of what we're going to be 
as the Spirit works on us. Be transformed. Be undergo this metamorphosis. How? How? By the renewal of your mind. It starts with thinking. It starts with thinking. This world isn't all that there is. And this world is brief. Oh, that great eternal weight of glory forever and ever. And I consider what God has done for me in Christ, what he is doing for me right now, and what he will do for me. And my thinking ought to be transformed. I'm not lured and attracted by the things of this world. They've got their place. And nothing wrong with a nice home and a nice car and a holiday and, uh, and a new kitchen and new this. And, and nothing wrong with But they should never win my heart. And they should all be used to the glory. Don't, don't come in my house. I've just had new carpets. You should have the carpets then. Tear them up again. Put straw on the floor. If nobody could. Oh, I, I'm not giving you a lift. I've got a new car. Stick with your old banger then. Whatever you do have, all to the glory of God, it's all his. You're going to leave it all in the end. Think, think. Romans chapters 1 to 11. Oh, the word transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, I think upon your sacrifice. You became nothing poured out to death. Many times I wonder about this gift of life. I'm in that place once again. Once again I look upon the cross where you died. Think on these things. Be renewed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it happens through the word. Colossians 3.16 Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I said the world is not enough. Let me say this now. The word is not enough. The world is not enough. The word is not enough. Unless this word is accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit, the word alone will puff me up. I become proud and arrogant. But the word applied by the Spirit of God truly transforms me into something beautiful. And the metamorphosis continues. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, and we behold that through the word, are being transformed into the same image, the image of Christ, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Or oh, how we need that present work of God the Holy Spirit. As I'm transformed, as I see Christ, as I look upon the mercies of God, then my service becomes a humble, joyful, dedicated, devoted, delightful service. And I'm going to email the elders. What can I do? I'm not sure what my gifts are, but I do desire to serve. And maybe the elders will say, well, you're doing enough at the moment. You've got enough with those four children or those three you're looking after. And then you've got the burden of your parents as well in their older ages. No, it's better. It's wise at the moment that you don't do anything more. But we will bear things in mind. But, oh, you've really encouraged me with your email. Now then, coming to a conclusion here. Tim Keller uh, concludes this particular chapter by looking at spiritual stagnation. He's got a little section called Overcoming 
spiritual stagnation. I'll just name the three points that he makes. Number one, it's revision really. View God's mercies. Just keep in view the mercies of God. Primarily Calvary. Never, never drift from the cross. And also his personal mercies to you. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I'm come. Second thing that uh, Keller mentions that will prevent spiritual stagnation. Just bear in mind always that my spiritual service is logical. It is logical. It's the right thing to do. Another quotation from, uh, from Keller. To fail to give ourselves in complete obedience to God is not only morally offensive, it is a failure to think clearly. We come to grips with the one who surrendered himself utterly for us only to the extent that we surrender ourselves utterly to him. It is the only sensible thing to do. So I view God's mercies. I see the logic of it all. And thirdly, he says, we keep on renewing our minds. So I keep on in the word of God. I keep under his word. I'm at the services, midweek as well, and men's meetings and ladies' meetings, whenever I can be there. I desire to be there, for there it's God who speaks, and I need to respond. And then verse 2 finishes with this lovely promise, and just to tie up with something I raised last week. When we do these things, here's a promise. Then you may know and discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I remember raising last week. I've raised it again tonight to an extent. How do I serve him? And different degrees of service, different areas, different stages of life. But basically there's these areas. There's my, my work life when I earn money. There's my family life. There's my leisure. And we all need leisure being built in. Uh, we might include rest in there. Then there's my service in what we call the church. Now, every area of my life, of course, is service, whether I'm at school or uh, working or uh, with the family or in the life of the church or playing golf. It's all to the glory of God. But yet there are those four areas. There's my work, my family, my leisure, and the activities of the church. What is the balance and this is the most difficult area for a pastor or for elders to, uh, to look. I mean, I've got a generous heart. I hope I've got a generous heart. I don't want to blow my own trumpet. My wife will tell me, you shouldn't have said that. All right, well, listen, I'm just trying to make a point here. I look at people in the life of the church, and uh, here we have our, our membership, and uh, over the years, it's gone ups and downs. And Here's the current membership, and you're thinking... Oh, couldn't so-and-so be doing a little bit more? Then you go and talk with them, and you learn really about their life. Listen, my friends, don't look across and think, oh, why isn't he or she doing more? Let's all ask the question for ourselves. And what is the right balance between home and work and leisure and uh, the life of the church? I mentioned the kids' club. Maybe it is that there is just nobody 
who can spare the time at the moment. I think that's something of a, of a shame. And we need to pray that God would raise somebody up. Maybe you're going to lose your job so that you'll have time to give to kids club. That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Or whatever it might be. But what is the balance? I can't tell you. But you will know, and you will be guided by God, as, and only as, you offer yourself in view of God's mercies, as a living sacrifice to him. And then he will lead you. And that's what the Lord does. He leads. He doesn't drive. Don't let a pastor drive you. Oh, why aren't you doing this? Or an elder. Why aren't you do- or a friend. Why aren't you doing that? And the devil, he, he drives. But I tell you what Jesus does. He leads. And you stay close to him. And I might not agree with the balance that you have, but if... Uh, with all your heart, you're seeking to serve Christ. That balance will become clear to you. And so here it is. There's a wonderful sense that God will guide, you know, as we give ourselves to him in view of his mercies. And he'll do something very wonderful. You will prove and know for yourself what God's holy and perfect will is for your particular area of service. Well, we'll leave it there for this afternoon. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this brief time in your word. We feel that you've spoken through your word by your spirit. Help us to be a people who are responsive to the glory of your name, we pray. Amen.